House of Grooms production. Hey, hey. Hey, girl. Welcome to the What a Mouthful podcast. I'm your host, Dee. I'm a qualified nutritionist, personal trainer, mindset speaker, and my favorite of all, I'm a mum. Living your best life doesn't have to be a grind, and I'm going to show you how to achieve a healthy mind and body. And if this episode speaks to you, give a sister a five-star review. This episode is brought to you by Sunny. Okay, you've spent money on good food, but you have this one veggie leftover that you just don't know what to do with. I personally hate wasting food, so what do I do? I just chuck it into the Sunny app search bar, and voila, I have over 400 yummy, healthy recipes at my fingertips, approved by moi, so you know they're good, and more. Want to subscribe to Sunny too? Use Mouthful15 for 15% off and never waste good food again. As the official first topic on the What a Mouthful podcast with me, I thought, what better question to start with than the question I literally get the most from people as soon as they know I'm a nutritionist. I'm talking, I'm at a restaurant and I'm ordering food and I randomly strike up a conversation and someone says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a nutritionist. This is the question that comes out. And it kind of makes me laugh because obviously it depends is always my answer because I look at people on an individual level, but I kind of giggle to myself because I'm like, if only you knew like how big the question you're actually asking me is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to present the question and then I'm going to do my best job of helping you navigate through the kind of top three, um, that I think will make the most you know, make the most difference for you. And probably the top three you've probably heard the most about. So I'll kind of walk you through them. So the question is, what's the best diet? I, like I said, get this question so much. And so what I thought I would do, and this is with inspo from um, Live Vitae, and I can't remember exactly what his name is on Instagram. It was inspired by a post that he put up And I very much agree with a lot of things that he says. So I had a little look-see and I thought this is a fantastic post to expand on. So what three diets I'm actually going to run you guys through is keto, carnivore, and vegan. These three, I feel like are the most, I don't know, I guess the, the ones that I hear people are using the most. Carnivore is a little bit newer, but I feel like it's a massive trend and something I really want to dive a little bit deeper into just to give you guys, you know, just a good, well-rounded understanding and knowledge on what might be the best diet. And every time I get through a bit of a nerding out phase where I'm like, okay, get ready. The science is coming at you. I'm actually going to say, let's de-dive into this topic because I know what I can be like sometimes. And I, I, I love the juiciness. I love like, you know, give me the how, give me the why, what's the pathway that that's using, like all of it. And so if I'm getting really deep into like a really nerdy moment, I'm just going to call it a de-dive. This whole episode is actually a de-dive. Like it's all about the science. It's all about figuring out what works for you and and when it might work for you. And I've got a little bit of science as well that I'm going to help to sort of shape up this conversation too, but I hope you're going to love it. Let's start off with keto. So what's the best diet? 
I'm going to tell you the answer ahead of time, but the really breaking down each individual diet and why it might not, or maybe a great diet for you is really where like the best part of this episode is going to be. But the answer is definitely, well, it depends. It depends on the human body that that food is going into. And that is my answer. It depends on, you know, what is that human body like? Is that human body inflamed? Is that human body stressed? Is that human body's digestive system working well? You know, what else is going on? Do they have IBS? Do they have, are they suffering some sort of autoimmune condition? You know, do they have access to these kinds of foods? So all of these things are gonna make a huge difference as well as what's their goal? What's their training like? Those are going to be very, very important questions that kind of tie into, well, what would be the best diet for you in this current time? So I am going to start with keto. Let's have a little bit of a look. So I looked at a whole bunch of different websites today to try and figure out what is the general consensus on the keto diet, because there is actually a little bit of slight differences depending on what resource you're using and what reference you're looking at. But it seems to be that the common consensus around it was, which was what I thought, was that 70% of your diet is fats, 25% of your diet is protein, and only 5% of your diet is carbs. So I did the math on this, and if you're on a 1500 calorie diet, which is kind of typical of a woman around the kind of you know, sort of 70 kilo kind of weight, Um, you know, average height and and 70 kilos is around about average weight for a woman anyway, especially when you look at like government RDAs, like their recommended daily allowances for specific nutrients. So if you were using a 1500 calorie diet, you couldn't even have a half of a medium sweet potato. So it's a little bit, I would say restrictive. I don't want, I don't want my, you know, you probably can hear the sound of my voice that I'm not a huge fan of keto. However, there have been lots of people that have reported to me that it's worked really well for them. However, most of those people are actually men. And if they are women, it may have worked for a really short amount of time, maybe like as a little bit of a kickstart diet onto a different, more sustainable way of eating and something that's a little bit more nourishing in terms of of gut health. And I'll, I'll touch on that and explain that when I talk about the vegan diet as well. Uh, Liv Vitae, the guy who I'm sort of um, using, you know, inspiration for this for this topic for this episode today, he says, "Good luck on keto with liver issues. Good luck on carnivore with low stomach acid. Good luck on vegan with SIBO." And so that is the three main types of people I'm going to be talking to to help you guys understand whether or not this is a good fit for you because maybe it is, but maybe it's not. So when it comes to keto. The kind of person you don't want doing keto is somebody who has liver issues, specifically issues producing bile. So let's do a deep dive. I mean, we're already halfway here, but let's let's go a bit deeper. Your liver, a main detoxification organ, is the same organ that produces something called your bile. The best way to explain bile is like your dishwashing liquid. So let's say you've just cooked a steak on an oily pan. When you use your dishwashing liquid, that dishwashing liquid is going to help you break down those fats. It's, it's called an emulsifier. So your dishwashing liquid is the emulsifier to help you break down those fats. When you break down those fats while you're washing it up in the dishes, that's what lets them get to really tiny, small particles and then stop clumping together and kind of, you know, disperse into your waterways, into your tap. 
The same thing is happening with your liver. So your bile is there as an emulsifier. It's there as your little dishwashing liquid. Uh, It spurts out when you've had a meal and then it helps you break down any fats that are there. If you don't have adequate amount of bile, and usually the reason I see that people don't have enough bile is because they have such a heavy load of toxins. Remember I said liver was really important for detoxification. When that happens, could you imagine bombarding the body with a whole heap of fats, like 70% of your diet, almost three quarters of your diet being fats? It doesn't make any sense. So how do you know if you're somebody who has issues with bile? Well, a massive indicator is when you eat fats, they just feel like they, they sit in your stomach. They feel really heavy. You feel like you can't break them down. You might also be somebody who suffers with like a lot of skin issues, like maybe eczema or something like that. Maybe you have um, breakouts on your face because fats are very important for helping to coat the skin and and creating this like, um, I guess, big barrier around all of the skin cells underneath. So it's like you've got this big oily layer that... (laughs) Like I was just imagining it being like it's slicked all over your body, but it kind of is. And it's that that topical layer that is actually full of fats that is stopping things coming in and things going out. And that is a very protective layer that we want to maintain. And when we have trouble breaking down fats, we often then see that in terms of, you know, like I said, like eczema or maybe, you know, skin breakouts because our skin can get irritated really easily. So that's kind of a bit of an indicator as to whether or not you may have some liver issues. And especially when it comes to liver, especially if you have acne on your face and neck, to me, that just screams, okay, my liver needs help. And so the likelihood of you being able to produce enough bile is pretty low, if I'm honest. A 2018 study in the Lancet Public Health found a diet containing a moderate amount of carbs, and I double-checked it was actually 50%, is linked to health and longevity. When I looked into this further, what I realized was that the people that were in this study was 45 to 64 years old. So they used both men and women, but when you're looking at women who are 45 to 64 years old, they're likely going to be menopausal women and menopausal women and men are not really anything like a woman in her menstruating years. So I was like, "Mm, that's a little bit tricky. How do we figure that out as females in our menstruating years, whether or not that actually applies to us? The study also found that if you had carbohydrates that were way too high or way too low, both of those weren't good. Again, we're looking at a population of human adults who might not be that that relevant to to us and so you sort of look at that and you go okay great it's got some great results and like i said i know plenty of people that are like you know keto work for me great however i have seen some things after that that i'm like you know i don't think that they've picked up on the fact that that's actually probably a long-term effect of being on a keto diet so yeah it does work for some people i don't think it works all that well for women i think five percent carbohydrates is just way too low Then on the flip side, a 2021 systematic review, and that just means like they just grab a bunch of studies together versus it just being the one study and 17 to be exact, where they looked at the exact same outcomes. Like so they were testing the same thing by the frontiers in nutrition said that the evidence overall pointed towards an overall anti-tumor effect from the keto diet. Again, however, 
all of the 17 published studies were all on animals and all specifically on mice. So this is, this is helpful for us to know. It kind of gives us a little bit more of an idea of its potential benefits. But, you know, again, are mice a really good representation of women in their menstruating years? The answer is we don't really know. When it comes to carnivore diet, this is a fairly new diet. Um, and it's actually aiming for 0% carbohydrates, which, you know, that's pretty intense. It's unclear exactly how much uh, protein and fats, but because it's according to the Cleveland Clinic, you're only eating meat, fish, eggs, and you're excluding vegetables, fruit, grains, uh, legumes, nuts, and seeds. I would assume that the kind of macro split that you're having there is your protein is probably going to be around like, you know, I guess the 90% mark, your fats may be around the 10% mark. Cause like, you know, it just depends. Like, are you having a lot of fish? If you're eating a lot of salmon, that fat number or fat percentage is going to be a little bit higher and, you know, sort of, so it'll just depend on exactly what you're eating. The problem with that is you then look at somebody who has low stomach acid, who I would argue is most people, this is going to be a real problem. And the carnivore diet, like I said, just remember, it's very new. So I actually didn't quote any studies just yet. I definitely see that it could potentially have a place. And I'll kind of scoot back to that um, when I after I go through vegan. But if you are somebody who has low stomach acid, the carnivore diet, oh, it might might be a tricky one for you. So how do you know if you have low stomach acid? Commonly, people who are stressed will commonly have low stomach acid. You know, a big reason being is that when you're stressed, your body will release this hormone called adrenaline. Uh, adrenaline will, will take blood from your digestive organs and it'll like redirect it into your um, arms and legs because your body thinks you're about to run away from a tiger. So it's like, here, give her adrenaline, let her run away from that tiger. Even if that stress is, oh man, I've got to, you know, uh, this deadline is due for work. So it doesn't actually matter if you're running away from anything. <laughs> Even if you're, you know, doing a heavy workout at the gym, like your body is old school. So it's thinking that you're a caveman or a cavewoman and you're running away from a tiger. And so it will then create adrenaline for you to try and help you run away from the proverbial tiger. If you have low stomach acid and you're stressed, like you would probably know that you have low stomach acid as well. If you're somebody who chronically has low iron, now obviously being a female, you know, we bleed every single month or thereabouts, depending on if you're regular or irregular. So we are already on the side of, of caution when it comes to low iron as it is, but it is a really big indicator for me. If somebody has iron deficiency and B12 deficiency and also struggles to digest protein, and especially if you're somebody who you eat something like a steak, you eat that and that feels like it's really heavy in your body, then I would probably guesstimate that you have low stomach acid. Also people who have, uh, who, who are getting sick all the time or who have like chronic gut issues. And the reason being is that when you do have enough stomach acid, your stomach acid has this really strong ability to kill off bacteria and pathogens, like even like the kind of food poisoning bacteria that you eat. So, you know, two people might be going out to dinner, you and your boyfriend, your boyfriend has a really strong gut, yours is weak. You go have the exact same food, you get poisoning, a food poisoning and he doesn't. And you're like, what? 
maybe he has super strong stomach acid and he was able to kill that bacteria before it got down further where it could do some harm. But for you, you didn't have strong, strong stomach acid. You didn't know about Dee's digestive shot. And you, as a result of that, you then, you know, fell sick because your stomach acid is a first line of defense. It's so acidic in there, or it should be anyway, that when you have enough of it and it's at the right pH, it's going to be impossible or thereabouts for anything like any invader, any pathogen to come in and then sort of get further down in your body where it can actually wreak havoc. I did mention Dee's digestive shot, and this actually comes from Dr. Libby. It's actually from her book, Accidentally Overweight. And this is something that I tell so many people about. A word of warning, if you are somebody who has any kind of high stomach acid issues or conditions um, and you know about it, anything like Barrett's esophagus or anything along those lines, then be very careful of implementing this. And I'd probably suggest that you don't try it unless you have the approval from your doctor. But if you're not somebody who has those issues, then you can give it a try. And if it does work for you, you can sort of, um, you know, start to do it more regularly. And so what I what I often um, encourage people to try, like I said, Dee's digestive shot, but I did get it from Dr. Libby, but it's just so much easier to explain. And then when I say it, people know exactly what I'm talking about, is getting a fresh lemon, cutting that in half, squeezing the juice from that lemon into a cup, and then also adding just a tiny bit of water if, if you know it's a little bit too strong and a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar. And so what that's actually doing, if you're having that 15 minutes before you eat with no other liquids and no other foods before your meal, is you're actually improving the amount of stomach acid and you're actually correcting the pH. So lemon is the closest food equivalent that we have to what our stomach acid should be. Our stomach acid should be 1.9. It's very specific. And so, so lemons are the closest food equivalent that we have to that. So by putting lemons in there, you're kind of um, going in there to kind of uh, manually change the, the pH if you know, if the pH has been off because of stress and other things and, and nothing has been working the way it should and it's not the right pH in there. And then the apple cider vinegar helps you increase the amount of um, overall stomach acid. Now, just again, a quick word of warning, because I am aware that there are some some girls out there that will probably be following me who have been suffering from eating disorders. Um, apple cider vinegar can be really triggering for some women. So if you are somebody that sort of suffers with eating disorders or disordered eating and you don't feel comfortable with this, then don't do it. This is not for you at this time. And that is a okay. Come back to this suggestion when you feel like you have a healthier relationship with food and you're comfortable implementing something like this. But please, please don't do it if it is a trigger food for you. So once you implement that that digestive shot, um, you'll actually start to notice some changes and some improvements should you have low stomach acid or the pH is not right because you're correcting it and increasing the amount of stomach acid. Like we need a lot of stomach acid to be able to kill off bacteria, to be able to break down iron, break down B12, um, start to break down a protein because what is happening in our stomach acid um, is that it is the first site of chemical protein digestion. So your mouth is like, that's doing the mechanical breakdown. So like you eat uh, chicken and you're starting to actually chemically break it down. So breaking it down just means <laughs> not like break dance, like break it down, but it's like you, you have this big food molecule and you're trying to make it into a, a molecule that's as small as humanly possible. So that by the time you pass it down to the next, um, the next organ in the digestive system, it's a little bit easier and then a little bit easier and then a little bit easier for it to go from a big molecule to a tiny molecule to a molecule that can actually enter your cells. 
Because the food that you see on your plate is not the same food and is not the same uh, molecules that actually necessarily get into your cells. You might have this beautiful, nutritious, you know, nourish bowl from your favorite healthy cafe, but whether or not that's going to actually translate to nutrients getting shuttled into your cells is very different. Like this is why I think digestion is so important. And these three kind of issues that we are looking at with these three diets are going to help you to determine, okay, where does my digestive system need a little bit of help? And if I, if I think that I'm more of a person that needs a little bit of help in this area, maybe I will choose a different diet based on the fact that it's going to be hard for me to, for example, implement keto if I know I have liver issues. And I also feel like for me personally, that is probably a reason why keto never worked. Like I think keto would work for me great now. I don't necessarily want to be restrictive because I don't really feel like I need to. I'm quite healthy now. I really understand my body now. Um, Obviously I have a lot of knowledge around, you know, like different macronutrients, different micronutrients, but I do feel like my body you know, is in a really good state. I'm in a really good place with my body and I have been for a few years. And so like, yeah, I could do keto if I wanted to, um, you know, like boost a few, um, I mean, look, people are really using it, I guess, to kind of get that uh, fat burning effect. And it can have that adaptation of that fat burning effect. It can, but like I said, in women and in women in their menstruating years, there's not a lot of research. And so we're not really sure. And the research that I have seen, um, I guess the N of ones that I have seen, the, the individual people who have tried this and, and experimented for themselves have come to me and shared with me that, yeah, it works for a short amount of time, but it doesn't work for very long. And that is, to me, makes a lot of sense understanding female bodies and, and hormones and things like that. So if we go back to your stomach acid, like I said, we're hoping for a pH of 1.9. The stomach acid or the stomach is the first place where you have the chemical protein digestion happen because in the mouth it's mechanical. You're chewing it down and breaking it into little pieces. And then in the, in the stomach, it is the, main, uh, the first site of chemical protein digestion. Well, your stomach acid actually triggers something called pepsin production. So pepsin is what you need to digest protein and it helps the protein break it down into little amino acids that your body can actually use. Now, if we move to vegan, which I feel is quite a a common diet that people implement these days, whether it's for ethical reasons or what they deem as health reasons, I do feel like it's quite popular. So I feel like this is gonna be a great one to cover. The vegan diet is very high in fiber. Um, often, and if you're doing it well, I mean, look, there are vegans out there who just like eat crap and they're like, well, I don't eat animal products. And you're like, yeah. And that's so fantastic that you are, you know, in line with your morals, but also like, really, what are you doing for your health? It's like, there's, there's not much that you're actually achieving for your health. Um, you know, by making decisions around, you know, having just like cheap, nasty food, like it's, it's not going to help you feel amazing and feel alive and feel like you're, you're, you know, thriving and, and nourished and all that sort of stuff. So that it is high in prebiotics and fiber when done well. And you've got to remember though, and maybe this is the first time you're ever hearing it, is that fiber as a prebiotic means that it feeds the microbes, the good microbes, the bad microbes, and the ugly microbes. This is a reason why sometimes when people have prebiotic things, I don't know, you know, like any sort of, I don't know, supplement or whatever it might be, if it's specifically got prebiotics in them, this is a reason why people start having those kinds of foods and they're like, oh, 
hold on a second. I actually think this is making me a little bit worse. So maybe it actually worsens your bloating. Maybe it actually worsens the pain. Um, you know, it'll just make you feel worse in general and kind of, I guess, amplify the, the, the bad symptoms that you're already experiencing. And obviously we don't want that. We want you to be out of pain, no gas, no bloating, feeling confident and happy in your body. So, you know, good luck being vegan if you have SIBO. I think anybody who has SIBO knows just how tricky it can be to heal and, and to manage. And I, I largely think that it is because of the fact that, you know, a lot of people are going vegan because they're having a really hard time digesting protein in the first place. And so they think, oh, my body doesn't like you know, heavy proteins. It doesn't like animal proteins. And so they make the decision to go vegan. Now, look, I'll be completely transparent. That is exactly why I went vegan a few years ago. I Maybe it's, yeah, it's probably about three years ago. And I made the decision, oh, I love animals. I really do. And I, and I realize I'm a bit of an oxymoron walking around being like, I love animals, but I still eat animal, animal products. However, I gave it a red hot crack. I mean, I'm a nutritionist for crying out loud and I still suffered with fatigue and I couldn't balance my blood sugar very well. I found it really tricky to do that. And I will definitely talk about blood sugar and how important it is to balance that in the future as well in future episodes. I found it so hard and I was the person. I was the person who I was like, you know, it's just, and actually I went vegan like about seven or eight years ago as well as recently or more recently. And I remember the very first time, the very first time was because I definitely would eat food and I would eat sort of heavier proteins, animal products. And I'd just be like, you know what? This is just, no, it doesn't really feel like it's sitting well in my body. And I thought, you know, maybe that's the universe trying to tell me that maybe vegan is more optimized for my body. So I really went down that path. Like I said, I really tried my best because I actually went back to try it again, like, you know, four years later, knowing how amazing, you know, a plant-based diet can be for so many people but it just did not seem to work for my body. And knowing myself now and knowing the sort of higher pro, uh, protein diet that I'm on now, like even like if a day goes by where I don't have enough protein, I notice the difference. And I know I'm very body intuitive now. Like I really, really know my body very well now, but even I can feel it. I can sense it. So it was really hard for me to then not you know, not be vegan after being vegan. But now looking back, it makes so much sense. And while I didn't get diagnosed with SIBO at the time, SIBO, SIBO, goodness, we all say different things. I definitely understand now that the levels of prebiotics and the levels of sugars, even though I was eating really healthy, was just sometimes, and at that point, specifically the first time I did it, creating a little bit more damage than good. And I don't think that's the case all the time because like I said, it depends on the body that it's going into. If my body was optimized and my digestion was optimized and my stress was down, um, then I probably wouldn't have that issue. But the problem that it, that it seems to be with SIBO, and let me just give you a little bit of a rundown of, of you know like what SIBO actually is, is it's just basically when bacteria migrates from where it's meant to be to where it's not meant to be. Um, and I, I sort of pause there for a second because I'm like, well, actually it is kind of meant to be in the small intestine, but only in very, very small amounts. So it migrates from the large intestine or the colon, where, like, which is where it normally should be. And it migrates up to the small intestine where it shouldn't be. And the small intestine is the main site of nutrient absorption. So you can imagine then 
when you do have SIBO and you do have these bacteria moving up into the small intestine, taking up space and creating a little bit of damage that, well, then it would make sense as well that over time, should you not be able to fix that problem, your nutrient absorption then becomes worse. And that could mean that you then become you know, nutrient deficient um, over time just simply because you weren't able to really get on top of the problem. Now, interestingly, stomach acid is an immune helper and it actually helps us kill off the bad guys before they get digested, but so is our bile. So it's kind of funny that like we've talked about keto, carnivore and vegan and in some ways the treatment for some of these digestive issues is you know kind of the opposite of what it is for the other diets but then if you really look at putting them all together if you have good detoxification a healthy liver and a good amount of bile and you have a good amount of stomach acid that's the right ph and you have the right amount of bacteria in the right place well then it largely doesn't really matter what the diet is as long as it works for you and Your liver actually controls, you know, this bile and it kills that bacteria. And, you know, and then again, if the acid is is low or not the right pH, you know, that bacteria can get into your system. But those things all together, when you look at them all together, it's it's again coming back to it depends on the person. And as long as your digestive system is good, you can largely implement whichever diet that works for you. I will say that there seems to be a lot of positive, um, more positive consensus around the Mediterranean diet. So the Mediterranean diet is kind of like how they eat in, you know, um, I guess Italy, (laughs) minus all the bread, if I'm honest, but mostly Italy and, you know, sort of the, the countries around that area of the world. And it is characterized by a lot of um, like kind of olive oils and more healthy fats, avocados, nuts, seeds, uh, lots of fruit and veg, but then, you know, proteins, like good sources of proteins, lean meats and, and, and good, um, good grains, not too many, but, but a good, uh, you know, just a good foundation. And I do think that the Mediterranean diet is very closely aligned to what we use in the first half of FlowFit in terms of what the meal plants are based off. Now there are specific micronutrients that are super important around that time because of the difference in hormonal fluctuations that are occurring. So we want to make sure that we're really protecting and nourishing, you know, the hormones and we're making sure that we're metabolizing those hormones um, and getting them out of the body and breaking them down. So there are definitely specific foods there that make more sense in the first half, but it is kind of, it does seem to be um, by the sounds of things like quite a good, like start here kind of diet. So that's the Mediterranean diet. And ultimately, I mean, the main message here is just heal your digestion and then eat whatever the hell you like. And and isn't that cool that once you have this good, healthy foundation, which I actually think a lot of people miss or are missing, you know, people like in society will deem them as healthy, but if they came and sat in front of me and I did like a thorough consult and I asked them, you know, all the questions that I would normally ask a client and I looked at them as a whole human being in their current circumstances, in their life, I would go, oh, okay, maybe not as healthy as you could be. And that is largely because the way that I see health is I look at it from, you know, your health, the health of your mind and body. 
and then everything in between and how that all interconnects. I know that there'll be people out there that are like, oh, thank you for demystifying this. I know you're probably thinking to yourself as well, well, how do we actually fix these things? So I will do like a little bit of a rundown of how we do that. When it comes to your liver, making sure that you are detoxifying efficiently is going to be super important. Um, So the way that you can do that, and I will definitely talk about this in a future episode because this is a massive, massive topic, is just making sure that you are not overloading your body with toxins knowingly. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're doing it unknowingly and that's, that, that's just like it comes with the territory of being alive. For example, you walk out on the street and there's car fumes that like hit your face or someone smoking on the street next to you. That kind of stuff you can't really avoid. But you can control things like what hair products you're using, what underarm deodorant you're using, what skin products, you know, you're using on your face, what makeup, what perfume, because all of those things, especially as women that we are putting on our bodies are known as something called endocrine disrupting chemicals. And they really get in the way of being able to metabolize your estrogen properly and then can lead you to a point where you have estrogen excess. Trust me when I say estrogen excess is not a nice place to be. It definitely makes you have more PMS, heavier periods, moodier months, you know, worse skin, worse bloating and all those kinds of things. And it's just not a place that you want to be because it's a little bit hard to kind of like not only heal the hormones, but also heal the detoxification system at the same time while you're still producing hormones every month. So it can get really tricky. And I would just rather, if you can, to just prevent that where you can. And so you need to get savvy on your products. What products are you using? What can you control? Like the two main ones I find for us is perfumes and plastics. So wherever you can replace a plastic water bottle or a plastic Tupperware container, even the um, the lids on your takeaway coffee cups. Wow. Like that is a massive source of plastic exposure where what happens is your cup is full of hot coffee or a hot drink. Um, if you don't drink coffee and then when you sip it and you pass it through the lid, that lid is then like breaking down. It's tiny little, what is called microplastics. And you are drinking a coffee filled with microplastics. And you didn't even know that until now. So if nothing else, if you go to your normal restaurant, cafe, whatever of a morning, just take that lid off at the very least. It will mean that you are at least having one less daily exposure and every less exposure that you have, because there's a whole bunch of environmental toxins that you can't control what's coming into your nose and your mouth and your lungs. Um, at the very least, the ones that you know that you come into contact with, just try to minimize those. So then you don't put that massive load on your liver that that then has to metabolize and you know clear that out of your body in a safe way when it's already got enough to deal with, especially as women, because it's trying to detoxify and, and metabolize and get rid of the hormones that are surging in our body every month too. So that's a kind of a basic way um, to, to protect your liver and your detoxification system. When it comes to your stomach acid, implementing something like digestive shot, if that works for you, would be a great way to do it. Another way to do it is to make sure that you're not stressed just before or while you're eating. Because like I said, that adrenaline is gonna you know, shoot that blood into, into your arms, into your legs, and not into your digestive function or your digestive system where you actually need it 
to start to go in there like you know where the blood flows that's where the energy goes so all of that all of those like bodily processes are trying to help you digest that food that you're eating and so if you're stressed you got no blood there nothing's working in the warehouse and you're probably going to feel bloated the rest of the day and then when it comes to SIBO you might even look potentially at implementing something along the lines of maybe a more keto diet, maybe a more carnivore diet, if, if either of those speak to you for a very short amount of time to see, okay, if I reduce the prebiotics and the fibers and I actually kill what's in there, then perhaps I'll be able to give myself enough of a break from all of those beautiful fibrous prebiotics that at any other time would work so well for my gut health and for my brain health and for my body. But that right now just... Um, are overgrowing because it's basically an overgrowth situation. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So largely just trying to, I guess, starve them out and kill them off. I would also be doing this in conjunction with, you know, a health practitioner to make sure, especially somebody that knows what they're doing, to make sure you can kill things off while you're starving them at the same time, because you may starve off probiotics. Oh, sorry. You may starve off like, um, bacteria that a good bacteria that can help you to compete with a bad bacteria but let's say you did something like go on antibiotics the problem then stems um, after the fact where okay yeah you're killing off all the bacteria antibiotics means like antibacteria you're just killing everything again the good the bad the ugly it's kind of like antibiotics are kind of like the opposite of prebiotics so prebiotics is going to feed everything that's there antibiotics is going to kill all the bacteria that's there and then the issue is, is that you got to remember in your gut, and again, maybe this is what you're hearing for the first time too, in your gut, you don't just have bacteria. You know, you've got viruses and fungi and, and parasites. So let's say, for example, and this is something I really, really typically see, and also something that is quite common for vegans is they will get something like SIBO, they will go on antibiotics, then they kill off all the bacteria, and then they find out that they've got like, something like candida, which is a fungus. So in the presence of no other bacteria that's gonna fight it, like it's like the bully coming onto the playground and he's like, no takers, <laughs> okay, let's move in. And so we'll walk around and just, you know, run shit because there's nobody there opposing opposing or, you know, trying to stop the bully. And, and I guess candida is, is like the bully in this situation. So if there's no other, you know, there's no other prefects around trying to, you know, you know, protect the school and protect the kids and say, hey, bad guy, get out of here. Then that candida is going to run rampant. And then that's going to be the thing that's going to make you crave intensely sugars because that's what's going to feed it. So those those prebiotics are also going to feed things like fungi as well. So we just want to make sure that, you know, we just have a really good balance of things. And again, you're working with a practitioner that knows what they're doing because it can get really tricky. And to top off this episode, because I feel like there was a lot of information in there, um, is let's let's move on to this week's very relevant question from my community. This is a question from, I'm pretty sure it's Abby from San Diego in California. So Abby from, Can, uh, from San Diego, Abby from San Diego in California wants to know, what is the one thing everyone should eat every day? I will answer that with, based on the episode we just had, there isn't one thing that everyone should eat every day. But if people have a good digestive system or at least a decent digestive system, I know good sometimes might be tricky in this very stressful day and age, 
at the very least, everybody should be having vegetables. They are full of nutrients. They are so good for gut health and for building up your immune system. And then if you've built up your immune system, you've got lots of energy. That means you can continuously, you know, have good resilience, good recovery, move through your day swimmingly, um, you know, have lots of extra energy for going to the gym and making healthy food and making good choices because you feel great and so on and so forth. So I really hope that this episode is one that you love is one that you come back to you know bookmark it and come back and and really if you know anybody who is specifically trying or has tried and then is kind of really confused as to like why this aftermath is just like a pool of damage and they're like oh god i don't know what's happened to my body i don't know what i've done if you know anybody like that who's tried keto who's tried carnivore who's tried vegan and you feel like any of these make sense for them share this episode with them All right, you guys are the best. I will see you next week. If anything in this episode sparked a question for you, please reach out to me on Instagram at dzabara. You're a legend and legends leave five-star reviews. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on What a Mouthful.